everybody. Welcome back to Bear Droppings, the Sick and 365 podcast on faith, family, and following Baylor Athletics. I'm Curtis Schroeder. My co-host and brother-in-law, Jeremy Johnson, is with me for episode 59. You can catch us on sickin365.com, on Apple Podcasts, on Google Play, wherever, however you like to listen. Uh, but the Baylor Bears kept things close for a while against sixth-ranked Oklahoma Sooners for a while last Saturday. And uh, even though we were only trailing by about 10 points at one point in the third quarter, eventually OU blew the doors open and uh, took us down 66 to 33. But don't worry, maybe down, but we're certainly not out as we approach a, a big home game this week against Kansas State. We'll get into all that and more on today's episode, but we're going to cover a little bit on the Baylor OU game. We'll talk a little bit about the the youth movement and the impact of new redshirt rules as we enter into uh, uh, the later stages of the season. We'll hit a little bit of Kansas State coming up this weekend, but I'm actually burying the lead here because we've got a, a very special guest that's joining me and Jeremy today. We're pumped to welcome Grayson Grunhafer, the, the director of broadcasting and content, co-host of the Fast Friday podcast and a recruiting analyst at Sigma365.com. Grayson. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, it's really exciting. I told y'all before, you know, I've been listening to y'all for a while now. I didn't realize y'all have had 59 episodes. Congratulations on that. That's great. Uh, but just excited to be here and talk about Baylor sports. You know, uh, it's what I do for my job pretty much. So uh, I enjoy doing it. Well, I mean, we're, we're going to grill you on some of this, but is, is this your full-time role? Yeah. Yeah, this is my full-time job. Well, that's that, awesome. That's awesome. That's would, awesome. would you give us a little bit of background maybe on your, your Baylor origin story and how you got to 6365? Because we've been members for a, a while now, but I don't know that I know your backstory, how you got here. So I came to Baylor, had no family that went to Baylor. Both my parents <laughs> went to Purdue. My dad went to grad school at UT. And uh, I got into Baylor and I loved it when I visited. And so uh, I was here from 2012 to 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty good times for football. Uh, got to see a lot of a lot of good things during that time period, and uh, that's kind of what guided me here. And then, uh, so I studied media communications here at Baylor, and then uh, when I graduated in 2016, I went and got my master's at UT uh, in kinesiology, but more business, so it was more sports management like. Um, mm-hmm. But it was really interesting. I uh, I asked Colt. Cole Barber, if I could intern with Sikkim 365, uh, the summer before, so my first year was a two-year program. Yeah. So after the first year, I asked, and he said, uh, I need someone that's living in uh, Waco. And I said, I can't do that yet because I'm you know, i living in Austin. I have to <laughs> live here for school. And uh, the next, uh, I guess, spring, we had an internship as part of our program. And so I asked him, hey, man, I, I'll move to Waco. Like, I want to work with y'all. And he was like, all right, let's do it. So I uh, moved to Waco, lived in a house with seven guys. Five nice. guys shared one bathroom um, oh, for, for four months. Uh, that was an interesting situation. Um, sure. And so, uh, yeah, and so then I got the full-time gig in, uh, I guess, January. and. Uh, awesome or I guess not January, what am I saying? In May when I graduated and then uh, just been doing it ever since. Yeah, I love it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah the house is was pretty crazy, by the way. It's as bad as it seems. <laughs> I'm sure. So you, did you get, you got out of that situation a little bit or, or are you living on your own now or with some other people? I, I'm living on my own now, completely That's on right. my own. I uh, lived on my own in Austin and I will be living on my own forever now. <laughs> Until I get married. So that's great. That, that's awesome. That's awesome. So you mentioned you're a Baylor grad. You're also a, a UT grad there, right? Obviously a great program. You can see why you went there. But 
how how was that that time in Austin being a Baylor guy living in Austin? Do you feel like you gained an appreciation for UT and for their fan base while you were there? So I grew up a UT fan. So I was Ooh, okay. all UT because my dad went there for grad school. So he loves UT. He's big. Is that before that. you met the Lord, or is that? Luckily, no. Unfortunately, just giving you a hard time. I. Uh, yeah, it, it was it was uh, not the best time period because, of course, it's sports management. So I took a sports law class. I took, a, you know, kind of delving into different uh, aspects of sports. And all these kids are now UT fans because they go there, right? I'm not. I'm a Baylor fan when I was yeah. there. And so I got, I mean, I did a paper <laughs> on the Baylor scandal. I did mm. all kinds of stuff. And it was, uh, I got grilled. I got grilled because, you know, I'm the only one there sort of standing up for it for them and so it was interesting it was uh it was definitely an interesting time period for me and uh, it was tough it was definitely tough some days at school that's for sure i'll bet i'll bet now covering kind of baylor in a full-time capacity does that does that ever compete with your fandom do you feel like how do you stay objective and like (laughs) this is my gig i i i'm going to to manage the emotions as a fan but i also have to be objective in in what Mm -hmm. i'm writing How how do you kind of play that side off so I interned uh, with a broadcasting station when I was a little bit younger, and I did it a few times, and I learned, you know, right off the bat, uh, you can't be biased. You know, you got to do mm-hmm. your best to not be biased. It's it's them, it's they, uh, it's mm-hmm. not we. Um, and so I've tried to keep that uh, the same line because I know that's what that's what it's supposed to be like. You know, I don't yep. want to come across too biased, even though I love Baylor. Like Baylor sure. gave me four of the best years of my life, and. Um, so it, it's definitely something that is hard for me, but I think I'm getting better at it. And, and, but if you know, my friends, um, they know that, uh, I'm definitely one of the biggest Baylor fans that you're uh, ever going to come across, <laughs> but it's hard. That's awesome. That is awesome, man. Well, we're so glad to, to have you on and, and hopefully to kind of give a little bit more of the, the background of Grayson and, and maybe some of the other areas that, that you get to cover in your, your current role. But uh, don't want to leave out Jeremy from this conversation, my friend. How are you doing this afternoon? Uh, hey, Curtis. Hey, Grayson. I'm doing awesome. I'm I'm excited about this. Uh, Curtis said that we are big fans of Fast Friday, and and that's really the case. I mean, it's it's part of the reasons we don't want to record and then release on Fridays because we're busy listening to you guys and think that you guys do a really good job with that that yep. podcast. But uh, Curtis, I, I have to tell you this, and, and Grayson, I think you've said this before that you uh, you're a pretty serious basketball player. Um, yeah, so uh, Curtis is aware of this, but I, I'm part of an open gym on Tuesday and Thursday mornings. Doors open at 5:45 Eastern time. And uh, it's it's great for me because uh, it's not another night out. Um, but you know, it's 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 just what the doctor ordered. Like I I love I love it. But um, last week I get an email from one of the guys that is a regular at this open gym, and you're not going to believe this, Curtis. But uh, I got an a, a, an invitation to play pickup basketball at M Night Shyamalan's house. No way. Yeah. No <laughs> so, way. So here's the story, right? Uh, the guys that come to this open gym uh, on Tuesday and Thursday mornings, this isn't their only game. Like they'll play at the Y on Saturdays or, you know, places here and there. <laughs> but M. Night Shyamalan, you know, obviously has a big Philadelphia connection, but it's not just something where he flies into town for a big sporting event. Like he lives here like 10 minutes from the church. Wow. And he has an outdoor court 
and he invites people over to play. And the funny thing is he's he loves it, but he's not that good himself. <laughs> but he's kind of surrounded himself with all all these basketball yes men. And so apparently, and I haven't seen this firsthand, I wasn't able to go. Uh, I had I had church that night, but uh, apparently all these guys are like his cheerleaders. So whenever he does anything and he's not very good, they're just like, yeah, Knight. Yeah, Knight, you got this, great, Knight. Great pass. <laughs> he invites Man. everyone over to be his biggest fan. Huh? Yeah, yeah. So it's. I, I do want to go over there and play with him, but apparently, you know, during the wintertime, because he's got an outdoor gym, he'll rent, like, indoor gyms locally to keep the game going. So I'll have to give you guys a first-hand account if I ever might make my way over there. So so it wasn't, like, for a specific date? It was just more, like, open invitation for the next one or something? Yeah, well, I think he plays on Wednesday nights. So, like, okay. at Wednesday at, like, 3 o'clock, I get an email from a guy, and he's like, hey – uh, if you want to come over to M. Night Shyamalan's house, like, let me know. And I'm like, I got youth group tonight. I can't make it. But uh, that would have been a lot of fun. A lot of fun. How old is that guy? I feel like he's pretty old, isn't he? Yeah, he's got to be close to 40. Uh, but Grayson, that's not that old. No, I was thinking older. <laughs> I, I thought he might be like 60 or 70 still out there. I didn't know how old he was. <laughs> Even that would be a compelling game for me at this point. But uh, yeah, I, I think he's probably got to be 40. Maybe, okay, maybe, he's not old. Yeah, maybe he's, he's like 45. Whatever the case is, he's not good. But uh, so that would be a lot of fun just to watch but his entourage cheering. He's like M. Night Shyamalan that's best known for for his work on The Sixth Sense yeah. on, in the village and for stuffing Jeremy's jump shot. Yeah. Yeah. If he, <laughs> if he, if he blocks right? me. Yeah, that'd be awful. That is. So, oh, my gosh. That's crazy. All right. So this is the part where I transitioned to off the top. And <laughs> for this week, we wanted to pick Grayson's brain on a on a range of topics. So a little rapid fire action here. So. Uh, Grayson, we're just going to shoot a bunch of, uh, questions at you and, uh, there's no right or wrong, uh, answer, but it will determine how much we respect you afterwards. So, (laughs) uh, so first question, uh, this week, who has the best home field advantage in the big 12? And we're talking football here. West Virginia, without a doubt. I've never been, but I think that place is crazy. My main memory of it is uh, have you seen the movie with uh, about Ernie Davis, the Syracuse running back? Yes. Oh, okay. Uh, well, he goes to West Virginia, and the only thing I remember is them throwing like bottles and stuff onto the field. And from that point on, I'm like, I bet West Virginia is the craziest fan base in the Big Twelve, no doubt. Scariest, yeah. So even apart from you know traveling and different time zone and and, and everything. Even if it was an hour away from Waco, you'd still feel the same way. I think yeah. so. I think so. It, it just seems very intimidating. I'm not going to lie, but the travel obviously is a huge part of it for every yep. Big 12 team too. But uh, yeah, that place, that place is, uh, I feel like a very scary place to play, especially when it's cold. Yeah, especially like for, for a night game. Yeah, on a Thursday night. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Might be kind of tough. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that's the one I would pick. I mean, there are a lot of good ones though, you know, like, uh, Bill Snyder stadium in at Kansas state, that's a tough place to play. And everyone says it, uh, UT just finished their four game losing streak there this weekend. So, uh, that place is pretty crazy too. Um, but yeah, I'd say probably those two are are the scariest. You know, Oklahoma state has had its moments, uh, occasionally, uh, I don't feel like OU is that. I mean, I don't know about y'all. Yeah. I don't feel like Oklahoma has a crazy one, but 
Yeah, I'd say West Virginia is number one for me. Yep, I cool. agree. Cool, cool, cool. So you, you you know if you've listened even one time that we're we're, we're pretty big foodies on, on this show. So we you know a lot of our conversation goes back to food. If you had to design your perfect college football tailgate, what's the food that's there with you? Ooh, the food that is there with me. Um, I'm a big fan of uh, barbecue. So I'd probably oh, nice. say, you know, if there's some brisket out there, maybe if someone can get a smoker out there and, and do some brisket, that, that would probably be uh, my number one food item. Mm. Uh, you know, that, that, that I'd probably say just that. I mean, I like potato salad too. So maybe brisket, potato salad, maybe some <laughs> green beans or something. And just, uh, yeah, that, that's probably what I'd go with. I think that, I think we, that what this means is that we, we need to have you, when Jeremy comes into town for Christmas, if you're, I don't know if you're going out of town for, for that, that period of time, if that, if that happens in this stage of life for you, but uh, we'll have you over to the house and do some smoke some brisket and, and do some, maybe watch a game or two or something. Oh, yeah. I would love that. Get Absolutely. it on the green egg. You, you want yes. Curtis's brisket. Yeah. Oh. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I'm looking forward to it. Now I'm, now I'm hungry. You already made me hungry. <laughs> So opening it up nationally, so beyond the Big 12 here, who, in your opinion, has the coolest game day experience in, in college football? So factoring into that, stadium, tailgating, traditions, uh, who's got the best game day experience? You know what You know what team I've always been infatuated with, their game day experience, for whatever reason. I don't even know if it's the craziest game day or not, but they really hype up their tailgate, and it looks so cool. I think I'd have to say Ole Miss. Like yeah. the Grove, Ooh. I think looks fantastic for a tailgate. It gets everyone together, uh, you know, fans and friends and students all, you know, along the same line. I just think that is so cool uh, to see that. And you know, they—it seems like they have a pretty crazy stadium too. But yeah, I, I would say that for a game day experience, that's one that I would definitely want to check out at some point. Um, I have gone to an AM game and that is pretty cool too. Um, I yeah. will admit that the stadium's awesome. It's very loud and the tailgating, again, it keeps everyone together. And I, I think yep. that's r- really, really cool. Yeah, when yep. you got 100,000 people, I think it's hard to, to kind of match the intensity of something like that, even if it is AM. Yeah, it's hard to not have a loud stadium, right? When you have that For many sure. people in there. Yeah. Kurt, yeah, so th- so Curtis, who would you say, uh, how would you answer this question? Well, you know, I, there's probably a lot that I would, I would be interested just as a fan to, to see or participate in. But when I was in eighth grade, my grandpa took me to uh, South Bend for mm-hmm. a Notre Dame game. And it was a, a, a late afternoon game against Stanford. And we got there at, I want to say it was like 6.30 or 6.45 in the morning. And just the, the environment, the atmosphere the whole day. So I, I probably, it's probably a little bit biased from my experience with it, but that it was like probably what sparked my college football fandom initially was participating in Notre Dame's game day experience against Stanford back. It was probably like 2001, I think is when it was or something like that. It was the coldest game in Notre Dame history. Ooh. Um, yeah, it was, it was a very cold day, but man, what a, what an awesome experience. Yeah. I would what agree would you with, say? I would agree with that. I I've been to two games at Notre Dame and it's just incredible uh Ole Miss I uh, got to do that once that is did you unreal. really I didn't know you did that yeah I was a teenager that was unreal and then uh this is a little curveball here but Wisconsin Camp Randall and Madison yeah Madison <laughs> is a cool town uh really cool town so uh but I really like uh Grayson's pick of Ole Miss hard to beat that 
There's yeah, so cool. many that I have been wanting to go to. I'll be honest with y'all. There are so many cool stadiums out there. I would love to go to, you know, those big, big 10 schools like the mm-hmm. Horseshoe or uh, yeah. the Big House. I mean, there's some other ones that I'm sure would be on that list. But for some reason, just for the tailgate experience, that's just, I don't know. Ole Miss has always looked cool to me for whatever reason. I'm I'm trying to get up to uh, Happy Valley and do uh, Penn State uh, next next year. Uh, just heard so many cool things about that, but haven't done it yet. But again, I think there is something kind of cool about the Big Ten and it's colder environment in the fall. And I don't think the food probably compares, but I think the experience is, is got to be pretty cool. So, yeah, the whiteout looked unbelievable yes, this past weekend against Ohio State. Unbelievable. Looked, unbelievable. Brutal That's environment cool. to play in, I bet. For sure. Hey, this could be a this could be a national question. This could be a Baylor question. It could be both for you. But when you think about your favorite college football rivalry game, what would what would that be? And to watch it, to observe, to to see from a distance. Okay, so from a distance, because for me the best rivalry game is TCU versus Baylor. Right, it's right, just right. Just an unbelievable rivalry to me. But on a national scale, oh my goodness, um, it used to be. Texas and Texas A&M, mm-hmm. uh, it really did. I enjoyed watching that. Both those fan bases absolutely hate each other, um, but they don't play anymore, so they don't count. So it would definitely be, for me, Ohio State versus Michigan. I think yeah. that that game is usually very impactful to the entire season, and so just watching it is is such a treat, and uh, it's impacted a whole lot of seasons, that game, and that, I think that's important, too, when – it impacts yeah. kind of a national scale uh, ranking. And so yeah. that, that's probably the one I would go with. That's really good. Yeah. And being from, uh, you know, up there, my, both my parents went to Purdue. I was born in Indiana. Uh, Big Ten country is usually pretty, uh, they have some pretty good, pretty good games up there. And that's just one that for some reason, every time I turned on the TV, it was my dad yelling and saying how much he hated Ohio State and Michigan. So, uh, that does your family still live in Indiana? Crazy, huh? Does your family still live in Indiana? No, no. We moved to San Antonio when I was uh, six, um, but both my parents were. Uh, I guess my mom was born and raised in West Lafayette, which is where okay. Purdue is. Yeah, and yeah. My dad went to high school with my mom in West Lafayette, and then they both went to Purdue together. Um, so high school sweethearts and stuff. And then we moved when I was five to San Antonio and lived there ever since. All right, Grayson question. This is out of the blue. Uh, best (laughs) uniform in college football. Ooh, best uniform in college football. Um, Oregon, Oregon. And I know I could go with classic and I could go with, uh, you know, the classic ones are cool and all, but, um, I really, really liked Oregon's. Uh, probably up until they made their numbers way too big this year, but but Oregon's jerseys have been consistently really really cool and really inventive to me, and uh, they kind of changed college football a little bit from a uniform perspective, in my opinion. And so uh, it's been cool to see them kind of grow and elevate. Sometimes they're too crazy, but sometimes they get it exactly right. So uh, I'd probably go with Oregon. Yeah, yeah, they I, they push the limit for sure, and I think I think you're right, and that they kind of set the tone for the modern era of uniforms in a lot of ways. So I think I think I, I echo that too. That this year they kind of scaled it back. I feel like they don't have quite as many combinations. Do you like what they did with the the giant numbers this year? Hate it. I hate the numbers. <laughs> hate Absolutely the numbers. Hate it. it. Takes up half the dude's body. Yeah, no, that's I right. Do not like it at all. 
Um, I kind of hope that's not the direction they end up going with the Nike templates moving forward. But. No, it doesn't hurt to have Phil Knight though when you're trying to come up with a uh, you know a jersey scheme and he's right yeah. there you know for them. But yeah, I, I really liked Oregon's. Uh, if I were to go a classic one, it would probably be Penn State's. Uh, I really really like Penn State's. It's very clean and just classic. Yep, that's awesome. Hey, last last question of the Grill Grayson uh, segment here, but you know we, we love the Big Twelve. We hope it's around for a really long time. But if the Big Twelve disbanded tomorrow, if distance wasn't a factor, you're not thinking about geography. What what conference would you want to see Baylor compete in? And that's you know across all sports. But if you want to isolate even football in some regards too, is kind of driving that decision. What, what would you want to see them compete? Ooh, um, you know a big part of it is I love seeing rivalries. So mm-hmm. if if to me, my favorite rivalries in the Big Twelve are Texas Tech, TCU with Baylor. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't, I don't look at Texas as a rivalry like I know a lot of people do. Um, sure. I look at those two. So if those two came with Baylor, um, that would be a huge part of it. And I would love to honestly go play in the SEC because I'd want Baylor to play A and M again because hmm. yeah, uh, I don't like A and M at all. And so I would love to see that. Uh, turn into a little bit bigger of a rivalry and you know the SEC you know as much as I don't like the SEC they're a great conference they get a lot of really good recruits they have high level football and so you know I I would love to see Baylor in the SEC at some point second choice would be Big Ten for me yeah Jeremy how would you answer that question Uh, I'm I got a little curveball here for you I was going to say the ACC um, I think there are schools that we would kind of match up well with in terms of our size. And I think academically it, it could be a good fit. And uh, uh, I also like the ACC as a basketball conference too. So um, uh, Mid-Atlantic is, is awesome. Uh, I love East Coast. So uh, that would be cool to kind of have some rivalries there. Yeah, definitely. And both, either one, you get great recruiting ground. And so yeah. that's, that's really important too. Uh, I think geography plays a big part in that. And that's why I was a firm believer in not expanding the big 12. If you were just going to pick yep. up Houston and SMU, like that yep. doesn't do anything for you. So, uh, yep. getting to a conference that has an expanded recruiting ground is also kind of a big, big thing that I look at at least. Yep. Yep. Curtis, how, where would you take this? You know, I don't know. I, I, I've, I, my initial thought was probably Big Ten. I think the SEC is awesome. I think it opens up doors for recruiting, like you're talking about. It opens up doors for visibility too. But I think it's it's a harder mountain to climb overall, um, especially in football. So I mean, it's not that I'm afraid of the competition. I just think long term, like where where is a place where you could go and have success, but maybe even some early success to to validate and grow. So Big t- Big Ten was kind of my initial thought, especially with you got the likes of uh, the, the, the Nebraskas of the world and such that I think we'd we'd come in and, and uh, make some ground against. But yeah, I think I w- I'd be a fan of, we, we, we actually should devote more time to this to talk about this in a later show for sure. But if you're able to kind of redraw the boundary lines, I say bring back the Southwest Conference. Yeah. Let's go, let's go back. I mean, there's, there's, I think there's great rivalries. There's great history. Um, but it doesn't really help from a recruiting perspective and more from a nostalgic, I suppose. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, hey, let's let's jump into the action, talk a little bit about uh, last week in OU and, and what we have coming up. But, uh, Grayson, we both thought that Baylor would probably lose this game, uh, so we weren't too surprised by the outcome, I'd say. But d- did you walk away from this past weekend feeling more encouraged or, or more discouraged by what you saw? 
Um, I kind of just watched this game and threw just about everything out the window um, <laughs> because I liked what I saw from the offense, but I think a lot of it was predicated based on, you know, being down by being down the whole game. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was really unfortunate too, because Baylor came out and ran the ball pretty well mm-hmm. at the beginning. And, you know, you could see the offense really take shape. And so it, it just was kind of hard to watch. You know, they, they go down by 14 and now you're almost forced to throw it all over the place. And mm-hmm. I mean, that works to an extent, but it doesn't work when it's, you know, 12 play 75 yard drives and they did that four times in this game and it didn't matter um and so it it was really it was really discouraging because i wanted to see the running game continue to grow but from holding calls to the score uh, game flow that didn't quite happen the way that i was hoping it would um but you know offensively there were definitely some positive moments charlie brewer looked phenomenal at times Uh, Denzel Mims and Jalen Hurd, I felt like really put their fingerprints all over that game, much like the UTSA game earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that Chris Platt is a guy that they need to find a way to get the ball to more or find a way to just get him open. Uh, he was wide open on one uh, later in the game and they just couldn't connect. So they need to find a way to get him the ball. I think he's too explosive to, to not be getting more play calls kind of going his way um defensively uh, there really wasn't much positive to take away from the game uh, at all to be honest it, it was it it was and i don't even know if it's positives or negatives it just was kind of what we've seen this year uh you know not being able to make tackles in the open field uh blowing assignments and coverage uh, that was pretty much the the main thing i think the run defense was okay until later in the game when the defense i, I think just kind of quit um, but other than that, they were pretty good outside of those two big runs by Candy Brooks late in the game. I felt like the run defense was okay, but the pa- the, the tackling is just it's tough to watch. So yeah. I don't know if I come away discouraged or encouraged. I think I come away just kind of even. It's the same team that uh, we've seen up to this point, in my opinion. Um, and so I, I don't I don't see it either way. I think you just played one of the best teams in the Big Twelve and. Uh, now you just move on. You're playing a team that's significantly worse than Oklahoma. And now you just got to kind of come out and the offense needs to continue to grow off that performance. And the defense just needs to uh, kind of sharpen some things up. Um, but you're not going to face the same kind of athletes this upcoming week. So you mentioned a couple of players on the offensive side of the ball that that showed up to play on Saturday. Just wondering if there were particular units, and this could be offensive or defensive side of the ball, but any particular units that you saw taking a step forward on Saturday? Oh, well, the quarterback. Um, I felt like Charlie played his best game of the year. Uh, I really liked the way he played on the road, the way he didn't want to come out of the game. Coach Rule said, you know, he he was not going to play him, and Charlie grabbed his helmet and went back in the game. And so – that's great to see from you know a position that's typically a leadership position uh, to see him kind of evolving into that leadership role and he just he played great uh, he he really did uh, the receivers I think Denzel Mims took a huge step this week yep. Um, yep. he was terrific he was unguardable to be perfectly honest they 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 decided to play off him so they were giving him some some room to make catches but I felt like he was just terrific he left a few plays out there. 
but he was he was sensational. Jalen Hurd took a big step. I think we found out who uh, Baylor's power running back needs to be uh, in every goal line situation, every third or in one or fourth and one. He needs to get the ball um, because. And it wasn't like Jamichael had a bad game. Jamichael no. was running like a man possessed. I mean, he was he was a bad man out there, but. I agree. Jalen Hurd's got to be the guy in third and short or goal line situations for sure. Yeah, Jamichael was dynamic. And yeah. I, I like I said, if the game flow had been better, I think he could have had a huge game. He he was looking the best I think we've ever seen him. I yep. mean, to be honest, he was making people miss. He was running over people. He was, you know, he had one play. He got knocked back. He got knocked on his back, but he went at the safety with trying to just stiff arm him so hard. <laughs> a stiff arm blow. <laughs> oh yeah. It was uh, it was right cool hook. to see, but yeah, I would say those those positions took a step forward um this week, wide receiver, quarterback and I think running back to an extent. How did you yeah, feel think- about the the offensive line because obviously they were going against one of the top defensive lines in the country, but they were pretty aggressive with the the run blocking and obviously a lot of uh, of holding penalties. But did you feel like they took a step forward at all? Um, it's hard to tell, uh, and the reason I say that is because John Carlo and uh, Jake from Morgan are still very rusty, and you you can tell you know they're still trying to get used to it. And uh, from Morgan hasn't played a game in you know two years until this past year. Um, he's only played in three games now. And so he's still rusty and John Carlo, you know, starting at guard is still rusty as well. Um, I think that once those two kind of get things going in the right direction, or if Josh Malin is able to come back and start and move Lawrence to guard, I think that you could see some huge improvements very quickly. Um, but as far as what I saw on the day, it's hard to really, um, state how good they were they they get the sacks late i don't count that was late mm-hmm. OU was bringing huge pressure but for the most part they held up okay in pass protection mm-hmm. um and then what we saw in the run game they looked okay too so uh, it was just a few moments here or there where they held which is a huge problem uh it's a drive killer or they just got beat and gave yeah. up a sack or a tackle for loss but yeah this is the week i think you're going to find out what kind of step they've taken because i think everyone will be back healthy finally yeah, and I think you'll you'll see it in the offensive line. But I think what, one thing that's really encouraging too, just even thinking about the offense. Like, I mean, in in a game where we got the ball more and held the ball longer, mostly because of the speed of the OU drives, probably more than anything. But to, to generate almost 500 yards of offense, to mm-hmm. to go five for five in the red zone, which really actually capitalizes on red zone efficiency this year, where we're I think we're like 17 or 18 for 18 or something like that in the red zone. Is that right? Is that I think that's right. Something like that. But yeah, the fact that we held time possession, we capitalized in the red zone. Denzel Mims and Jalen Hearn taking steps forward. But when you've got a, a the packed at the receiver position with Chris Platt and Ty Thornton kind of coming back. I mean, that's that's a wide receiver core that I think would stack up with anybody in the Big 12. And if you can figure out how to exploit some of those matchups even more so, I think we'll see that um, come to fruition more this weekend against Kansas State for sure. But I hope we t- to see even more steps forward in the type of offense that Rule's trying to run when, you, when you're when you at a little bit more level opponent like, uh, like Kansas State. Uh, but when you think about OU and, and specifically Kyler Murray, 
Obviously, he had a great game this last week. But if you assume for a second that he was wasn't going to play baseball after this year, do you think he'd have a pretty high draft stock at this point? And 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 maybe how would you relate him to to Baker Mayfield's game? Uh, I, for me, he's not he's not there yet. He's not um, there I, to me. I, I just I think he's way smaller than Baker. Way. Uh, I feel like he's going to be fragile later in this year. He's very lucky. He's got an insanely talented offensive line in front of him. Um, he's going to have to hold up, though, because he clearly is the best quarterback on that team. Mm-hmm. And he can make explosive plays. And we saw that. He made some huge plays in this football game. But I don't think he's a pro. I don't think he is pro-level uh, accuracy, even though he was 17 of 21. A lot of those were little you know, short passes that went for huge gains he had a really nice throw down the sideline to hollywood brown that was a pro level throw but for the most part it was guys running wide open or just really short passes uh he impressed me because he got the ball to his playmakers um and i think he uh you know maybe switched the play at the line maybe made some adjustments like that but uh no he's not a pro to me and when you're number ninth in an mlb draft i think that's your sport uh to be honest now, so smart. Grayson, we, we've seen some exciting sparks from from Baylor's younger guys, even some of the true freshmen this season. At this point in the season, are there any young guys that you're wanting to see get even more action, uh, whether that's more playing time or more touches on the offensive side of the ball? Uh, I want to see Squirrel get the ball. Uh, <laughs> Craig Williams is a guy that we've heard a ton about as just an explosive playmaker and I still want to see a guy that they can just throw a dink and dunk pass to, and the guy just makes someone miss and goes, you know, 70 yards. Yeah. And, you know, OU has that with Hollywood Brown. I mean, that guy just makes one dude miss, and it's a touchdown every mm-hmm. time, every single time he gets the ball. And so I think Craig could be a guy like that. I know he's more of a running back, but if you could use him in the screen game a little bit and maybe in the return game, I think you could see some some huge dividends in playing him because he he had a very impressive film. Uh, if you watch this film, he's just so fast, so quick. Um, and so whenever he does get on the field, I, I think he's going to be a little bit of a difference maker uh, for this team. Sort of a follow-up question to that. Uh, do you see Baylor making changes in the return game? Uh, <laughs> is, is Chris Platt going to be our guy, you know, against Kansas State this week, or do you see us changing things up? I don't know. I, I, I commented on the board to someone, you know, everyone was complaining about, you know, the coaching because Chris Platt dropped a punt. And I'm just thinking to myself, man, he could have caught every single punt the entire week, you know, yeah. during practice and they couldn't have thought anything. And then he just drops the punt. And I think they're going to play the guy that does the best in practice. So if Chris Platt shows up and catches all of the punts and all of the kicks in practice, you got to play him because usually practice translates. And, you know, it was very unfortunate because it was literally a minute into the game and Baylor had a turnover and basically just handed OU a touchdown. Um, so I, I'm, I'm hard-pressed to say, but, yeah, I think he will be. I think he'll still be returning uh, against Kansas State. I really do. Yeah, you mentioned Squirrel a minute ago as a, as a true freshman that was, would – have a potential for some big impact and and certainly we're starting to see the impact of the the red shirt rule coming into play this year and so 
I want to ask you about how you're feeling about that rule and, and kind of you know how you see that playing itself out for Baylor. But even from a strategic perspective, there's they've got to be thinking in their minds about chunks of time where they want to get guys into the game. So I don't know if it's strategically at where they see it in the season, but I would assume that you would want to give a guy a little bit of momentum from a week-to-week basis and say, hey, we're going to play squirrel in, in weeks five through nine or whatever it is or you know or later in the season we're gonna take them because i would assume you'd want to build momentum in uh, from game to game but how do you how do you see that playing itself out and have you heard anything on on the strategy for leveraging that here at baylor so i mean one one particular strategy that i think is going to happen and i i've heard it the you know reiterated the most is uh jared atkinson the first four games rj mm-hmm. sneed the next four games and then gavin holmes finally a guy that really came on towards the end of last year, I think they might play him the last four. Um, and and that's one strategy that I've heard for, you know, that receiving group. They don't really need all of them all at once. So I think it's a mm-hmm. great strategy to do that. Um, those guys could use a red shirt year, uh, especially Snead and Holmes coming off injury. You know? Right. Um, so that's good for them. So that's one strategy I've heard. A lot of these guys, it seems like uh, we'll start getting in later in the year, uh, especially because if you don't early enroll, you need you need the time. And so guys like Ben Sims and Braylon Taylor at tight end, I think they're just a little behind Kristoff. So mm-hmm. Kristoff's going to play the whole year, and maybe those guys will get in towards the end of the year uh, just to get them some reps. It's the same way with a lot of these guys. I think – Every guy that hasn't played up to this point, I think, is going to redshirt, but will play in four games, whether it's special teams right. or whatever. Um, but the Get guys the that have played, you know, three or four games already, I think most of them will play the whole year, to be honest. I just I don't see any way around it. Do you like the redshirt rule? Do you feel like it's got more upside than downside? I love it. I absolutely love it. I think it's so cool and it adds a unique strategy to the game. Uh, I think it can be used as a recruiting tool as well. Mm-hmm. I think that if you can tell a guy, hey, you're going to for sure play in four games, that definitely piques some interest. And uh, I think it's great, and it's great for the players. Um, I feel like, you know, one, one one situation in particular, you know, Kelly Bryant leaving Clemson, mm-hmm. um, if this redshirt rule hadn't been in place, he would just have to sit there and, you know, sit behind Trevor Lawrence the whole year. But now he gets to leave and he gets to have a whole nother year, uh, you know, to try to raise his draft stock or to try to, you know, get playing time his last year of football. It could be his last year ever. So uh, I I think I think there are some things that we're going to find might not be good about it. But I think so far uh, it's it's all been pretty positive and we're getting to see young guys play, which is really encouraging and really cool. Yeah, I love that. And the, and the irony of the Kelly Bryant play, right, that he probably would have gotten in for Clemson this last week uh, when he had a chance when the starter went down. But, uh, you know, I, I was reading something earlier today that talked about kind of the unintended consequences. And I think that it, it could be a benefit for the player for sure to know, hey, if you're getting buried in the depth chart or you're realizing the coach is giving preference to somebody else and you've gotten out. Um, but I think, you know, at the end of the day, too, it, it's, it's kind of promoting – self over team at some level where you got, you know, the potential for guys to be walking out four games into the season. So I, I, I think there are some things that you'll probably see. I, I, I hope it becomes a lot less uh, of the common factor where you see the negative sides of it. But I think like you're saying for a recruiting perspective, for um, experience and getting reps for younger guys, like it's, 
it's going to be an awesome rule. I think actually Baylor gets to take advantage more where there's an opportunity to compete for a chance to play every week and rule isn't afraid to play the young guys if they're ready and they earn the time. I think, you know, there's so much upside for that, for the young guys that come to Baylor. Yeah. And it's so cool to see the young guys as a fan. I feel like, I feel like to see these young guys, I mean, how cool is that? You're seeing a freshman that you just saw get recruited and, you know, most, most times you wouldn't have gotten to see that. Um, so it, it's cool. You get to see the dividends right away uh, pretty much and see some potential. Grayson, we're talking a lot about young guys and even even recruiting. You know, going into Baylor's third conference game of the season, how are you feeling about Baylor's recruiting for 2019 and, and 2020? I feel like I'm totally out of the loop on that, to be honest with you. So I, I catch us up to speed. Okay, so the 2019 class is pretty much just about done. I right. think they may... They're still looking at a few guys that, and I'm sure you all have heard these names, but Brant Banks, uh, big offensive lineman. Uh, he's a guy still on the radar. King Daru out of Tascosa High School. I just went to his high school game this past weekend, and he uh, he's still on Baylor's radar. And then Langston Anderson uh, out of Midlothian Heritage. And so those are the three guys right now that I continue to hear the most about. Uh, I think Baylor's still recruiting all three of them very heavily, and that's how they would probably end the class uh, with maybe all three, maybe none of the three, maybe one of the three, and maybe new names will surface uh, coming up. But the rest of the 2019 class is great. I mean, the class is awesome. They they uh, have a great quarterback commit. They got yep. good offensive linemen committed. Uh, you know, the receiving position, they're still trying to figure out what – what uh, more they need to add because they're already pretty deep there. But Yusef Terry is an awesome addition to the receiving Mm -hmm. core from Philly. Um, And so, and then defensively, huge, huge defensive linemen. Like, unlike I think Baylor's ever seen before. And we're talking 6'6", 6'7", 6'6", defensive Mm. linemen. Uh, 6'7", might be 6'8". Gabe Hall is absolutely huge. And so... Those three guys, it clearly shows a change in philosophy, uh, kind of what the staff wants. They got a bunch of guys that can play safety or linebacker in this class, um, which is much needed. Uh, I project most of them to be linebackers, so that's not necessarily great because they really, really need some safety help, in my opinion. Um, But if they can get one or two of them to be a safety and then the other two be linebackers, I think they'll be set up pretty good. Um, but the way I'm looking at it is the 2019 class is great, but I think that this staff uh, is going to be looking for a grad transfer or hmm. uh, a JUCO at safety. I, I really do, and I think there's a need there. I love JT Woods. I love Christian Morgan, but they are sophomores. They're so young still. Um, you'll only get Chris Miller back next year. I think they need one more guy uh, that's played a lot of college football. So. That, that's the one area I would look at that I think they need to get. But everything else looks pretty great for that 2019 class. Um, as far as 2020 goes, they only have one commit right now. Uh, Takias Crawford out of Carthage. Um, big offensive lineman. So they're, they're still in the early stages of 2020. Uh, I'll be following that a lot. But 2020 has a chance to be very special. It's a deep class uh, in the state. And the weird part is, is it's probably the deepest running back class in the state of Texas in a long time. Wow. And Baylor doesn't really need running backs. So right. It's kind of, <laughs> uh, that's kind of not ideal. But um, yeah, that that's something to look forward to. I think 2020 has a chance to be the best class rules ever taken, even better than uh, 2018. 
Wow. Very cool. That's really cool. Hey, man, I'm not going to ask you to, to reveal all of, of the secrets behind it, but if you, if you were to pull back the curtain a little bit on how you manage the information around recruiting and building relationships with recruits mm-hmm. so, that, so that you come to the table with, with knowledge, and certainly that's what we, we pay for and love as part of our Signature 365 subscription for sure, but you know, what does that process look like for you, and how did you become efficient and, and effective in that area? Um, it was a little awkward at first, you know, I, I'm a, <laughs> it, it just is, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, a little bit older, uh, than, than the recruits obviously. And so, uh, you know, they're all into a bunch of different things than I am, but what I will say is I get to know them at camps and that's mm. cool. That's great. That's where I get to talk to them the most and meet everyone that, you know, I'm trying to meet that has Baylor offers or whatever. I try to find those guys and meet them and make a point of it. And, you know, really it's just grinding, you know, going in, trying to find everyone at these camps and then trying to find them on Twitter and trying to build a relationship through that. But um, one thing is, is that I, a lot of the information I get is talking to parents, honestly, mm. parents are great and they, you know, they want their kid to, you know, be, be heavily recruited and they want to, mm. you know, they want to talk to me about it and that's great. And I, I love talking to parents about it and uh, all of that, but I'll give you one for instance. So I drove to San Antonio when I first started this job and I was going to uh, the famous or infamous uh, Tommy Bush. I, announcement I remember that. Oh. I remember that. And uh, maybe a few weeks before that, uh, a kid named Hakeem Vance was on campus and he came to the studio and did an interview with us. And uh, we talked and it was great. I met his mom. I met his brother. Um, and that was just awesome. And his mom uh, gave me her number and I didn't think anything of it, whatever. So I go to the Tommy Bush thing and I, I pull in and I kind of pulled in, you know, really quick because I thought they were going to announce, you know, within 10 minutes of me getting there. Um, so I'm kind of hustling to get in and I get a phone call from a number. I had no idea who it was. Uh, I guess I hadn't saved it or whatnot. And I answer the phone and uh, it's Akeem's mom. And <laughs> she tells me that uh, Hakeem committed to Baylor. Wow. And so I was like, oh, like, thank you so much. And so I text Cole and I'm like, dude, like Hakeem, I think Hakeem's going to commit really soon. Like his mom just called me. And so he posted on the board. But that's just one instance of, you know, building that relationship is kind of the most important thing. Building yep. it with every all the people you meet, all the recruits you meet, uh, because you never know who they may be and you never know what they may know. And so right, yeah. uh, whether it's coaches or parents or grandparents or the players themselves, um, it's just trying to, you know, trying to make a relationship with everyone. And uh, I guess I do okay at it. You know, it's, I'm still young and still, it's still new to me and I, I'm still trying to learn the nuances of it. But um, yeah, it, it, that's pretty much all it is, is uh, I, I would say if you can build a relationship, you can figure out what, what, you know, information so sure well we, we feel like you do an awesome job we know we know you do and i know that those on the board feel the same way do you feel like do you feel like people are or recruits are open with information with you do they kind of give you the stiff arm in a lot of ways trying to protect you know when they're making a the big decision like this and all the drama that surrounds decisions these days and the the videos and kind of the hype around that do you feel like they're transparent with you or do you feel like they kind of play out of multiple sides um most are not most are not at all, <laughs> not transparent. I, uh, yeah. uh, you know, they want to keep it a secret. They want to, yeah. you know, 
a lot of them want want some some hype to build up and they're they're you know a lot of times they'll tell me what I want to hear and I know it's what I want to hear or they you know will just kind of give me a vague answer or whatever and that's fine like I totally understand it that's the recruiting game and they only get to do it once so mm-hmm. I, I I want them to enjoy it of course and so um, yeah no they're not not transparent and that's where the uh, parents come in. Because mm-hmm. parents are very transparent with what is what's going <laughs> on awesome. in their recruitment. They're uh, they are there's a night and day difference. You get the honest air answers from the parents, and then uh, the kids not as much. So that that's really that's really interesting. And I know y'all saw it. My first interview ever was Sikkim three sixty five. I got told that uh, I got told Bobby Wolf and Eric Young would not be committing for months. It's feel, it felt like they said years. And right. the next day, Bobby Wolf was committed to A&M. <laughs> <laughs> so Welcome. Welcome. Yeah, I got the stiff arm there. Um, but uh, but to their credit, they did say they were going to end up at the same place. And they did end up right. at the same place eventually after Bobby did, Wolf. didn't take them quite as long to, to figure that out as they thought. <laughs> yeah, so... They knew, I guess, but yeah, that was that was a wake up call that yeah, this is not going to be, uh, you know, super easy to just get any answer I want, and it's gonna, it's definitely not going to be honest every time. That's for right. Sure. Yeah. That's <laughs> Come on, bro. You said you <laughs> said months. Come on. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Well, hey, mo- moving on a little bit to, to this week, want to spend the last few minutes of the show talking about Kansas State and kind of wrapping up with that. But uh, you know, the Bears are taking on Kansas State and Waco this weekend. The line opened. I think Baylor is a three-point favorite. I've seen it anywhere upwards of five points. Uh, some people are saying this is the last game that will go into favored to win. So how important do you feel like the Kansas State game is for the momentum of Baylor and the, the ongoing success of the program? Uh, extremely important because I think that this, this is the difference between uh, – Really, I don't even want to say the difference between making a bowl or not because I think even if they win this game, they could still not make a bowl. But right. uh, I think to get a chance at making a bowl, this is a must win. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Kansas State is very, very mediocre this year. Uh, it's huge that it's at home. I think that's a big factor in it. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I mean, I expect Baylor to come out and win this game. I really do. I, I don't see any reason – why they shouldn't. The matchup is great. Uh, K-State wants to run the ball. Baylor's best part of their defense, in my opinion, is their run defense. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so I think Baylor should be able to match up okay on the outsides. Uh, as long as they can tackle in the box, I think they're going to win this game. I, I really do. And I think the offense will have chances to explode in this game. And they will have a chance to pull away, I think, too. I, I think that they could could be in line to do that, even though it's hard against Coach Snyder. Uh, to really pull away, but if they if they can get up by two touchdowns, I think they'll take this game kind of away from Kansas State, and uh, it's big. But one thing I want to mention is I've watched a lot of the Big Twelve over the past couple weeks, and you know maybe Baylor won't be favored, but they're going to have a chance to beat Oklahoma State, yep. TCU, Iowa mm-hmm. State, Texas Tech. All four of those teams are very beatable, in my opinion. Heck, even Texas. Texas didn't look good against Kansas State, in my opinion. And so Baylor will have a shot yeah. in a lot of games. But, yeah, I definitely agree, definitely agree that it has to start here, though. Because if you can't beat K-State, then I, it's going to be hard to beat any of those other teams, uh, I think, if that's the quality of your team. Yeah. 
What are some key factors in this game that Baylor fans should be watching? You talked about how Baylor matches up uh, defensively, that, that we like to stop the run, and, and that's what K-State's going to be trying to do. Offensively, what does Baylor need to do to, to kind of break out to a two-touchdown lead, as you were talking about? I, I honestly believe that it's going to come down to the receivers again. Um, I think Mims and Hurd have to be like they were last week. Uh, yep. Texas found great success with Colin Johnson being able to win one-on-one matchups. Um, I think that's going to be a key factor. Uh, yep. Just plain and simple. Can you win the individual matchups with Hurd, Mims, and maybe even Platt? Maybe he gets mm-hmm. loose this week. But it's going to be hard to run the ball consistently. But uh, I think one key factor in this game, though, is that you know against Oklahoma, Oklahoma pulled away so fast that Baylor had to go away from the running right. game. I think this week Baylor may be able to continue to run the ball a little, but I think they're going to find the huge success on the outsides. And uh, I'm interested to see how Bill Snyder game plans for that, to see if he decides to take away the passing game, and then maybe it opens up holes in the running game. I could definitely see that happening as well, but uh, there's no doubt if K-State wants to stop the run, they will stop the run against Baylor. They, they have a, a good run-stopping unit. So I would say the individual matchups on the outside are key. Um, last week on the defensive side, I said that Chris Miller was going to be a huge factor uh, in the game last week, and unfortunately he was um, <laughs> in that game. Uh, it was tough. You know, it was yeah. tough sailing, and I knew it would be going up against Hollywood Brown. So um, this week on the defensive side, I, I need to see uh, the linebackers take a step. Uh, Bernard, Clay Johnston, and Jordan Williams uh, felt like they took a little bit of a step back last week. So I think they really need to play a whole lot better, especially trying to stop the running attack of Kansas State. Yeah, I I think that's right on. You predicted that uh, the Baylor's going to take this one. So so what's the prediction? What's the the final score here? Baylor Bears, Kansas State Wildcats. Well, I usually give my predictions on Friday, but uh, I'll try to. We can can pause on that if you don't (laughs) want to. No, no, you're just going to have to give me a sec to think about it. Um, I think that it will be relatively low scoring. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe, maybe. But I'm going to go with, I think I got Baylor scoring – Maybe I'll say 30. I think 30 is a pretty good number, right on 30. And I think K-State will score uh, maybe 17. So I'll go 30-17 Baylor uh, with the win. I think they'll kick a couple field goals in this game. And uh, K-State will get some stops in the red zone and won't give up touchdowns every time. So, uh, yeah, I'll I'll go with 30-17. Baylor gets the win. What about you guys? What do you all think for this weekend? Curtis, you go first. (laughs) Yeah, I, I, I think Baylor jumps on this one early. And, and the defense shows up from the momentum of being at home and, and certainly kind of getting getting some stops early. So I, I'm going to go 34 to 13. Man. I think, I think we shut, okay. shut them out in the fourth quarter like we've been doing in, in the games we've been winning lately. So I, I'm going to go 34-13. What about you, Jeremy? Uh, I, I'm calling a huge win. Uh, I'm going to say 30 to 13. Uh, so... Uh, I, I've been pretty conservative. That was like a gold. That was like a Goldilocks <laughs> answer right there. Like I have been pretty the, conservative <laughs> thus far uh, in my role as a sunshine pumper. So I'm, I'm just uh, going crazy this week. I'm, Baylor wins this one big, thirty uh, to thirteen. Wow, we're all right around the same number for points, though. So low thirties, yeah. huh? That's yeah, right. yeah. Tough to. If score we're gonna be wrong, 15. we're all wrong. That's, that's <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, oh man, we we 
Oh yeah, Jeremy, you want to wrap up with maybe one more question before we close yeah, just, out? Yeah, just one last question, uh, Grayson. At this point in Matt Rule's rebuilding effort, what would you say to encourage that? What would you say encourages you the most? You know, going forward at this point, uh, I, I think it has to be the offense. Um, if if there's one thing, I think the offense and kind of if you just look at the roster and the way he's trying to build it, I think those two things are, are what intrigued me the most about coach rule and kind of i can see the vision that he's trying to to get to they just don't have the talent and i posted about this earlier it, right. it's hard to look at it and be and say anything else and the ou game just really accentuated that because watching hollywood brown just run by everyone shows you exactly what i'm talking about you know cd lamb running down the sideline running by everybody um you know, once he gets the talent there that he wants for his system, a lot of things are going to change. And uh, the offensive scheme I've been very happy with. I think anyone that watches most of their games with a unbiased eye uh, can tell you that they are doing some very good things uh, mm. with this offense. And they're really trying some, some things, even without an offensive line, which is mm-hmm. probably the most important position in all of college football. Yep. And so... To see, you know, the recruiting that he's doing mixed with, you know, the scheme that I see on the offensive side, um, I see a lot of positives there. And the defensive side, it's hard to look at the scheme and say that it's doing well just because the talent's just not there to make it happen. It's just not. And so maybe once they get the talent, we'll be able to see uh, Coach Snow's defense take that step just like it did at Temple. I mean, this guy had a top 10 defense two years in a row, so... You know he can do it. Um, it's just a matter of getting the talent. And we're seeing on the recruiting trail some great talent that's coming yep. to Baylor, better than it ever mm-hmm. has been, even with Art. This, this is the best recruiting uh, I've seen at Baylor, um, other than that class that got, you know, in 2016. Right. Uh, other than that class, um, these have been the best classes. So uh, really encouraging stuff. And I would encourage everyone to really take a look you know, go watch the games with an unbiased eye and uh, go look at the recruiting classes because he's doing some very good things. And uh, there's a reason that pro teams, you know, looked at him. You know, yep. he, he's a great coach. Yep. That's awesome. It's, it is awesome. And a lot to be excited about, a lot to be encouraged by. And, and hopefully this time next week, we're talking about a four and two Baylor Bear team that's two thirds of the way there to a, a bowl game this year. Well, Grayson, thank you so much for joining us, man. We sure enjoyed having you on today. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. This is great. I, uh, I like I said, I listen to it all the time, so I really enjoy y'all bringing me on. And anytime I can talk about you know Baylor football, college football in general, uh, I love it. We'll do this again. This is great for us. Absolutely, guys. Anytime. Appreciate it. Well, for those still listening, follow us, chat with us on Twitter at Bear Droppings BU, and on Sticking Through Sixty Five boards, we're available at Bear Droppings BU at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. For Jeremy Johnson, this is Curtis Schroeder and the Bear Droppings Podcast. Signing off till next time. Sick and Bears. Bear.